So we're back to the future, and Bridge Kids, you're back to your classroom. Thanks for being with us. So last week, we went back to the future, and today we're going to go back to the future. To 1985, um, but we are going back to 2015. And if you know, Back to the Future 2 went into the future to 2015, which would seem really crazy in 1989, but we have to go back. And um, by the way, 2015 was the first time we talked about this vision uh, that we started last week. We have to go back to 2015. And it all started for us in the summer of 2014 when 14 leaders of the bridge, that included elders and part of the staff team and some other key leaders, we got together and uh, we met several times and we prayed together and we talked and dreamed together and we uh, clarified what we saw to be our future here at the bridge. And the result was eight descriptive statements that describe our preferred future or what we would call a vision. So uh, let's just review. I know there's a couple of you who weren't here yet last year and you want to see what we did last week. And then the rest of you can't remember what we did last week. So let's just do a quick review here. Vision always starts with mission. It always starts with mission. Our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. This is why we exist. If there's only one reason in the whole world and all the Bible, this is it. Okay? This is our purpose. This is our mission. This is the reason we are here. And uh, vision, mission is our target. What are we trying to do? Vision is a picture of what it might be like if we were successful with our mission. Um, it's, it, uh, it's a picture of a preferred future. You know, every church has, has its own fingerprint, and not every church is going to be like ours, or we're not trying to say this is the only way to do it. We're saying this is who we are. This is who God has brought to the bridge. This is what we see with who we are and the resources God has given us. So um, here's what we talked about last week with our vision. First of all, we dream of a church where people... Next slide. Here we go. We dream of a church where people seek to be good news as they share the good news. So this is review. Uh, Good news. The good news, what's that? Well, it's the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world and that he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin. The good news is by his grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That is really good news. How, do, how can we seek to be good news? Well, by not being bad news. The problem for the church for 2000, they, they put a foot in both worlds. And, and so there's a picture out there that it's okay to be a Christian and be dishonest. It's okay to be a Christian and be involved in immorality. It's okay to gossip. And we often present a poor picture of what a Christ follower should be like. We dream of a church where people seek to be good news. 
That is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to represent him well. The next one was, we dream of a church where every Christ follower is taking intentional steps toward full devotion to Christ. Uh, Jesus commanded his church in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And that's where we see the Great Commission. That's where our mission is based. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. It's an easy one to leave out. Jesus wants total obedience. That's the goal. None of us are perfect. I'm far from perfect. But what do we do to take intentional steps? I can plan to grow. I can do things that I know it's going to help me grow. And I have to think about what things are going to not be beneficial. And I can take uh, intentional steps. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Pretty important to Jesus. And so we dream of a church where every Christ follower will have this desire to grow. Not be perfect, but to go to the next step. Wherever you are, go to the next step. Um, This is why, as John has already mentioned, this is why growth groups are so important to us because they can help us take intentional steps for growth. In a concept of a biblical community, believers together, praying for one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, and teaching one another, we can grow together. That's how God has designed uh, his people to grow. Next, we dream of a church known by our community for its loving attitude and its commitment to serving others. Um, We want our community to know that we are servants of Jesus Christ. We want to be good news to our community. They're glad we're here. Uh, They see us as a positive, not as a negative. Uh, We do good works to create goodwill that creates a platform for the good news. And this is why we're doing outreaches in our growth groups. We talked about that last week. That's why we want every growth group. We just want it to be a part of our DNA. We don't think we have it all together. We think we're just beginning with outreach. And we're looking for people to help us come up with ideas on how to serve our community, communities. Uh, The last one we looked at last week, we dream of a church where leaders are raised up and trained to have an impact locally and globally to further Christ's kingdom. Training leaders for modeled. Um, We want to train leaders, whether it's going to be elder training or teacher training or growth group leader training or preparing people uh, for local missions or global missions. So, if you missed last week, that's what we did. Okay? Now back to the future two. We're going to look at our last four vision statements. The first one on your outline is, we dream of a church where servant leaders lead ministries with excellent excellence in alignment with our mission and our values. So we already stated our mission to help people connect with God, evangelism, and to develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. We want to help Christians grow. We want leaders uh, who lead with excellence with our mission and core values. And by the way, the core values are listed in every program. You can see all of them. Those are guiding principles on how we should do ministry. So first, uh, leaders, we, we want to develop our legal according to the Wall Street Journal, 2015. 
There's a new fad among top-level executives. It's called humility. New fad. The article titled The Case for Humble Executives explores the business benefits of this once unpopular leadership virtue. Here's what the article, here's a note from the article. Among executives, humility is the flavor du jour. That's the flavor of the day. Says Fred Hassan, a former CEO of Shuring Plow Corporation and author of a book on leadership. He says, companies increasingly prize humble leaders because they listen well, admit mistakes, and share the limelight. Recruiters and coaches say, the servant leadership model, it's a model, produces collaboration. Says Dale Lee Jones, chief executive of Recruiters Diversified Search Incorporated. And they also discovered in their research and in their own and as one business expert noted, if you have to act humble, it won't work. You either are or you're not. Jesus understood about humility as basic discipleship 101 from the very beginning. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, Jesus uh, called a meeting with his disciples, his small group, He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their highest officials exercise authority over them. And so he gives the secular model of leadership, top down, first century. We still see it today, I think, pretty much. He says, not so with you. This is not how we do it in the kingdom. This is not how we're going to do it in the church. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Next slide. To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that was the ultimate service. The ultimate sacrifice was giving his life. And that's uh, Jesus' model. He was a servant leader, a leader. Leaders do lead. Leaders do give direction. And they help people with accountability from time to time. But they are to be servant leaders. Leaders. The Apostle Peter eventually understood this. This is a great thing about growth because Peter was in Jesus' growth group and he didn't understand this in the beginning, but over time he soaked in with Peter. Listen to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, so he's talking to church leadership, elders. He says, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He's saying, I'm a fellow. I'm, this isn't top down. I'm not trying to boss you around and tell you to get it all together. He says, I'm appealing to you as a fellow elder, a, a co-elder. And he says, be shepherds, be leaders of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them. Leading them. Teaching them. Being patient with them. Being an example. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Having right character and right motives. Last slide. But eager to serve. Servant leadership. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leaders in the church should be examples. Examples. 
whatever you're leading. Certainly elders in developing Christ-like character, being an example in being patient and kind to admit mistakes, an example in being a husband. We're not talking about perfect people. We're talking about people who are growing to be an example as a husband and a father in being generous. If, we, if the Bible teaches that believers should be generous, our leaders must be examples. Our leaders must be generous with their resources, examples. Not only leaders who lead humble, but also leaders who lead with excellence. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Leaders who lead with excellence. Now, this doesn't mean perfection. We're not going to be perfectionistic. Uh, Leading with excellence is taking the resources you have and doing your best. You can't do everything if you don't have the proper resources, but you take what you have, you take the skills you have, you take the gifts you have, and then do your best. Apostle Paul wrote, whatever you do, start as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So this applies to us in our workplace too. So, or if I'm a student, if I'm, a, if I'm employed, when I go to work, you know, I've had jobs that aren't my favorite. I remember as a brand new believer, I worked in a factory in Des Moines, Iowa. I hated it. And then I had to start figuring out, how do I do this as a Christian? And it got hard. But I was to do it in a way that honors the Lord. It's not just about pleasing a supervisor or being cool with my coworkers. It's about, I'm responsible to God first. He says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We want leaders to lead with excellence, to think about who they're really serving. This is one of the reasons why we want leaders who lead in alignment. Uh, through the years, I begin to see this is really important for the church. Uh, Here's a couple of reasons why. This is why it's important to me. Okay, we, we have a doctrinal view of scriptures. Um, we have a doctrinal statement that's important to us. It fits evangelical Christianity in a very broad sense. So it's open to a very broad sense. People who have a high view of scripture believe in Jesus, salvation by faith through faith, salvation by grace through faith. It's, it's a solid I committed to our doctrinal perspective. We want people uh, to, is, it, is this where you, can you stand with us on these doctrinal issues? Becoming a member is a way of saying, yes, we have a mission. We've, we want to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Membership is a way they can say, yes, we're on mission with you. We have core values, how, guiding principles. Membership is a way of saying, yeah, we're on the same page. It's a membership is a commitment to give generously to support God's ministry as God enables you. This is important. Grow, this is things that growing believers do. Now, membership doesn't put you in an extra category. You're like you're a cut above somebody because you won't be. 
But it, it helps align us, our hearts together. We're going in the same direction. And that's why I value it. Um, this is important to the Apostle Paul. He passed on his faith to Timothy, chapter 1, verses uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, 13 and 14. He says to Timothy, this young leader that he is developing and mentoring, he says, what you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. Scripture that he taught, uh, patterns that he taught, ideas that he taught, uh, are the good wisdom that he taught of Jesus Christ. Keep it. We want to keep our focus on the gospel, the good news. It's so easy once you start departing from truth to leave out this stuff. When you start leaving out the gospel, when you start leaving out scripture, you're in big, big trouble. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It was important to Paul. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. We looked at this last week, but have a quick look here. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others, passing the faith from generation to generation. That's how it's happened for 2,000 years. You can go back through church history. I would love to teach this class to you. Go back to church history and tr- trace how the church... Uh, was passed from generation, from nation to nation, uh, where, the, where uh, people believed in the scriptures and where they departed. And you can just see it. There's a string that connects us this very day to the 20th century because of the gospel, because people passed their faith. Second one, we dream of a church where people's hearts are continually expanding for both local and global missions. We should speed up a little bit. We envision a church with people whose hearts are growing, changing. Don't get stuck where you are. Hearts like Jesus. Uh, Matthew 9, 36 through 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He was broken hearted. He was sick. Because lost people matter to God. People who are far from God matter to him. They ought to matter to us as well. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He, he was like seeing all the possibilities. And he's saying the workers are few. There's not a lot of people. Harvest, therefore, to send out workers, send out people who want to share the good news. Pray. And we want to, Hearts like Jesus who are growing. He said the harvest is plentiful. You know what? The harvest is plentiful right here in the Chippewa Valley. Um, both local and global missions. Acts 1.8. Yeah, got to do this one. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Remember, this is the theme verse to all the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus says, he gives a command and a prophecy. You will be my witnesses. And a witness is someone who uh, tells the truth about Jesus and what he has done. That's what the witness of Acts 1.8 is to do. And then he gives this geographical framework. That's where the framework, Jerusalem. 
expands in Judea and Samaria, outside in the nation of Israel, to a larger area, and then to the ends of the earth. And we see that in the book of Acts. It goes all the way to Rome, Paul's first and second and third missionary journeys. Um, let's go back to the maps. Map number one. Guess what? This is our Jerusalem. Can you find where you live? Probably your neighbors don't know Jesus yet. Maybe a couple of them do. This is our mission field. This is our... You could spread it out a little bigger if you need to. We don't have Chippewa Falls on here. Uh, So our Jerusalem. But then uh, what about our Judea? Well, let's just, we, it just gets bigger. It's, um, it's people outside of our walls, outside of our community, who don't know Jesus Christ yet, but they're a whole lot like. And then the ends of the earth. Okay, there's Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And here, those are some of the places that we're having an impact. Notice, uh, go to the right. Berlin, Germany, the Hesse's uh, from Wisconsin are there. We're supporting them in church planting in uh, Berlin. And France is where Rachel Strake is with Campus Crusade for Christ. Ankara, Turkey, is where the Hoffmans and the Thornsons are going. We're going to be sending them. Togo is where Carol Pollock is. Africa is a continent where Team World Vision is having an impact in providing clean water uh, to communities in Africa. And we've had at least three short-term trips to Honduras. I think we had some to Costa Rica as well. So, um, we are church, by the way. God raises up sending churches as healthy churches. Uh, We'll see this, uh, number three. We dream of a church that plants other disciple-making churches with an ever-expanding regional influence. Regional influence. Um, Before we get to regional influence, let me just say this. Eau Claire is the largest city in northwestern Wisconsin. By far. Got to go down to La Crosse. It's still bigger than La Crosse. And it's the hub for our area for a lot of different reasons. We have, we have the University of Eau Claire, University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. We have the Chippewa Valley Tech College. We have a few other small colleges. We have two major hospitals. We have a surgical hospital. We have a third hospital come in. Uh, strong in education, strong in the medical community. Um, and we have the people come to Eau Claire because it's a re- hub and churches that actually lead people to Christ, a disciple-making church. Uh, it's not just about helping a church get started so they have a Sunday service and that's it. It's about establishing a church that leads people to Christ and then helps them grow as followers of Christ. In Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, we see ascending church. It's the church at Antioch where the prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Next slide. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Antioch was the sending church to a huge area. I think we have another map here. Good old Paul's first missionary trip. Started it all in Antioch. And the sending church it was a regional church and had a major impact. We want to be a church with regional influence. You know, we sang the first song we sang this morning. Anybody remember? God of this city. Some of you have never heard it before. But it was our theme song when we launched in 2009. We sang it a lot. We showed slides that had the city of Eau Claire and the surrounding area. We want God to be the God of this city. Uh, Regional influence. Um, By the way, we're already larger than most of the EFCA churches in our immediate area. And that's not saying too much. We're having a regional impact in a small sense. Um, A church in the city, the the metro area is probably around 120,000. And uh, if you have a church of 150 in a small town of 1,200, that's a huge church. But if you have a church of 150 in a city our size, we're just one more build place that people pass by. And um, I've heard the numbers from 65 to 85% of our community is unchurched. Just kind of depends on how you tweak those numbers and how you count them. One way is to count every church we have in, in the area. I don't care if you want to go to Eau Claire, if you want to go outside to the other cities. And then how many people can they seat? And how many services do they have? Just make them full for every service. And then count how many people who aren't there. That's one way to do it. Um, yeah, there are people in churches who don't know Jesus yet. The, the, the harvest is huge. And we could have a regional influence. Um, first S, 1, 6 through 10. Paul writes, you became Im- imitators of us and of the Lord. He's talking to the church at Thessalonica. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model. This is what I want us to see. This church was a model to their region, to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. That can happen. People coming to faith and walking with Christ can have a huge impact. Oh, yeah. God is at work there. That's what I want our reputation to be. Okay. Oh, a little quick map of northwestern Wisconsin for those of you who like maps. So There we go. So you can see where we, we can have a huge impact in all the communities. But... Um, Let's go on to number four. We dream of a church with facilities, last one, with facilities that will one day be a home to an expanding ministry for all ages. We currently don't own any facilities. We own a trailer. That's good. It's served us well. It's a ministry tool. 
God designed healthy churches to grow and expand. God designed healthy churches to grow and expand. There are a lot of reasons why churches don't grow. And sometimes if you're in an area where the population just continues to decrease and decrease and decrease, it's hard for a church to increase in numbers. But they can grow spiritually and they can reach people for Christ, even if people are still moving away. God designed healthy churches to grow and expand. Acts 2.47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This was the, the, how the church got started. Acts 4.4. 4. Who's counting? God. He cares about people. He cares about all people. And he cares about who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's his heart. Acts 5.14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts 6, 1a. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, God was keeping track. Acts 6, 7. So the word of the Lord spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem. See, this is still in the region of Jerusalem. Increased, the numbers increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this isn't about large churches or small churches. I don't care whether you like large churches, okay, churches. I just wonder what God wants to do in Eau Claire, okay? I, I realize why some people like small churches. I realize why some people like things with. And if they're led well, they can have a huge impact, okay? Um, if God doesn't enable us, we won't grow numerically. And we won't have the regional influence that we could have. Um, the next thing is that facilities, we're talking about buildings here. Facilities are tools for ministry. Um, just to, You know that. It's uh, like a flower pot for the planted flower. The flower is the living organism and the pot is the holder. It's useful. If you've got a plant that's growing like a tree or a shrub, you put it in a small pot to start with, but then you have to change out the pots if you want the thing to grow. The same thing is true about a living organism called the church. It sometimes needs a bigger pot. And uh, just remember that sometimes large homes or synagogue buildings, sometimes synagogues, as their people got converted, the synagogue building changed out to become a church building. Large homes, some people had homes that in their courtyard they could easily handle 100 to 150 people. I'm not sure there were a lot of those homes that size, but there were some. Uh, also, remember that church buildings are not the church. This has caused a great deal of confusion in North America and Europe in Christendom. People get confused. We talk about the church and we mean the building. And pretty soon the building becomes this sacred item. There are certain things we can do, and there are certain things we can't do there. And uh, one of the dangers is um, the church, and let me just say, the church is the body of Christ. Those who danger for churches is to let their facilities dictate their ministry. 
the danger is to let the building, the facilities dictate what they do. Uh, How does that happen? Well, if you built a cathedral in Europe, or if you build a cathedral, then then it gets to, or there are certain things we can do here and certain things we can't because this building is special. Now, I agree that buildings should be set apart for God, but it should be used for humans. Um, Sometimes a ministry is not free to do what they need to do because they've taken on such financial obligations, a huge mortgage, and they, they can't do, they can't uh, send more missionaries. They can't uh, do ministry, outreaches that they need. They can't train leaders that they need to be involved in. They, their budget is, begins to be controlled by their mortgage, and that's a danger for the church. And the last thing on our list is facilities that house expanding ministries for all ages are flexible. Now, I love that we had this place to come on Sundays. It's really been good for us. We've got a great room here. Imagine if we had the facilities one day that we could house bridge kids at every age level, decorated every room that needed to be for their age with the right space, And a place that's, when parents come, they know it's going to be safe. Every age group. Imagine a place where we have just a middle school place, just a high school place for them, decorated for them. Whether it's games or uh, a cool sound system in their room or a gymnasium where kids can run or where we can do sports ministries or where um, just uh, an opportunity to have outreach into the community, invite our community into our space. Imagine if we had facilities, worship space. This is a good worship space. Imagine one day we have our own worship space where we can handle all the lighting just the way we need to and all the sound just the way we need to and our stage just the way we need to. And someday, imagine what it would be like One day, we envision that we will have facilities for the bridge. Just in case, you know, you have a rich aunt or great uncle that's going to die with a million dollars extra. Okay, you now know how we can use it. It is not the goal of our ministry. It's about stewardship of our ministry. It's a building as a tool at the right time, at the right place. It's when we are ready. Right now, we are not yet ready. Uh, we, there, there, there have been times that we, in the past, we could have afforded something. But the danger is, is you get something too small and then you're stuck because you can't add on to it because you got this thing you got to pay for. We have this space. We have a lot of room in this space. So this is our vision. We want to stay on mission, helping people connect with God and developing them into fully devoted followers of Christ. One day, we hope it includes the bridge having facilities if God enables us. Uh, we hope that one day we will have a strong regional influence in northwestern Wisconsin as God enables us. We hope to be uh, uh, planting disciple-making churches 
in the future as God enables us. We want, to, uh, we want God to grow our hearts, to expand our hearts for uh, missions locally and globally, for people far from God. And we desire for God to raise up and develop humble leaders that will continually keep us. God is looking for humble servants who are submissive to him. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the church. You're designed for community of Christ followers. Thank you for the local church as you've designed churches to be in cities like our local church. Thank you for raising up the bridge in 2009. And God, we just want to continue to walk with you and trust you and ask you to lead us into our, into our future. May we be submissive in your hands. May we remember who our master is and that we are the servants. That Jesus is the one who purchased the church. He redeemed us from the penalty of sin and that we belong to him. Just to follow just uh, humbly, whatever your situation is today, whether you really submit to his leadership in your life. And for Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.